0: Welcome to Chapels from Rosedale Bible College. Thanks for joining our community for weekly chapels recorded on our campus in Rosedale, Ohio. We hope you are challenged and inspired by what you hear. Enjoy. I, As as I was sort of thinking and praying about sort of this chapel and sort of where we're at in the year and uh, the season that we're getting into, I the the, the term that kind of kept coming to me, and what and what I've just kind of been more and more impressed upon lately that I wanted to kind of just share some thoughts about this morning, and uh, and go from there is is the term Emmanuel. We throw this around, especially during Christmas, right, when we are celebrating, uh, you know, the coming of the coming of of Jesus, Jesus' birth, and you know, the whole manger scene and and all of that stuff. And, and that's in, this, that, in that context that we use this term Emmanuel, which is the, uh, is, is the Hebrew term for, for God with us. And I think sometimes we use it in such a way that, it, or we use it so much or so often that we kind of uh, lose sight of the significance of what the term Emmanuel actually means. Like what it what it uh, it means for us as followers of Jesus. What it means for us as people who are uh, who are who believe in God and want to follow God and want to uh, you know live lives devoted to following and walking in obedience to God. I mean, is that, is that where we're all at? I hope that's where we're all at, right? And this idea, then, of Emmanuel, that that, that God isn't someone who we chase after, this elusive figure that we are constantly sort of grasping at. We, we just talked in Beb Lit the other day about about uh, uh, Ecclesiastes, and, and, and uh, we, we talked about the word Hebel, remember, of, of, of this, this, this vapor, this meaningless, this vanity that we're, we're constantly grasping for, but we can't quite get a hold of, and all of that, it's, all of life is meaningless, and this is chasing after the wind, this grasping at things that we can never quite get a hold of, and then it's there, but then it's not. And I think sometimes we can kind of live with this feeling that, that that's how God is, to a certain degree, Right? But the term Emmanuel sort of blows a hole in that concept, in that idea. And that's what I want to kind of think about a little bit today. And to do that, I want to look at at the introduction of this word, the first place where we actually, where God sort of introduces this term Emmanuel. And uh, sort of the circumstances that were at play. And and then uh, think about what that means for us and how we relate then to others as well. So uh, if you have your Bibles, if you have your Bibles, or if you want to follow along on something or other, uh, we're going to be, first of all, in 2 Kings chapter 16 to talk about a king named uh, Ahaz. Because it was to this king, Ahaz, that, that God first introduces this term, Emmanuel, in Scripture. He first to Ahaz, of all people, is the king that God gives through the prophet Isaiah, this promise of Emmanuel, this promise of God with us. Now, I know, since I think about everyone in this room has taken Biblet, that as soon as I said Ahaz, you knew exactly who I was talking about. Yeah, of course. So we can just skip to the end, and I won't explain. No, that's okay. I'll just defer the other people in the back that weren't in Biblet, I'll, I'll keep talking about Ahaz, uh, because, you know. No, Ahaz was, was, the, uh, was the father of, of Hezekiah, and you might remember of Hezekiah as being sort of this, one of the good, sort of godly kings, right? But Ahaz was, was his dad, and Ahaz was a bad king. Like he wasn't just bad, he was bad, bad, bad, bad, bad. Like he, he turned the temple into a a uh, a place of worship for he actually offered one of his sons on the altar to Molech. Something that that God, you know, chased out the Canaanites and, and let the Israelites come and inhabit the land because the people who were there before were doing this. This, this worship of Molech, offering their own children in sacrifice. And now we have Ahaz, a king of Judah, in the line of David, who's doing this exact thing. Like, this is deplorable. It's terrible. Right? But that's Ahaz. He's not a good king. And during Ahaz's reign, uh, the king of Israel in the north uh, teams up with the king of Damascus. who Damascus is just north of Israel, in what would be today Syria. They team up and they come to attack Jerusalem. Well, they're not able to conquer it. They, they, put, it, they put it to siege, but, but uh, the, the, the walls of Jerusalem stand firm, and, and they're not able to. And in the, during this time, Ahaz has this brilliant idea. You see, the Assyrians were on the rise. The Assyrians are more in Mesopotamia, and he writes a letter to the Assyrians and uses gold from the treasury of the temple to pay off the Assyrian king to attack Damascus and get back at the guy who was getting him. Ha, ha, ha. This is crafty, right? And that's exactly what happens. The king of Assyria attacks and conquers Damascus and kills the king that was trying to attack Jerusalem. I mean, this, this, this Ahaz, he's a, he's a brilliant strategist, right? I'll get the king who's trying to get me. And in chapter 16, I'm going to start reading from verse 10. I sort of told you what happened in the first part of chapter 16 of 2 Kings. But then um, in, chapter, in verse 10 of chapter 16, here's what the scripture says. Then King Ahaz went to Damascus. This is after uh, to meet Tiglath-Pileser, the king of Assyria. So this, this king of Assyria who's now invaded and attacked and, and taken over Damascus, Ahaz goes up to greet him to meet him, presumably to thank him. Thanks for saving me, taking it out on my enemy, right? He saw an altar in Damascus. Whoa, and let me tell you, it must have been quite an altar because he sent to Uriah the priest a sketch of the altar in Damascus with detailed plans for its construction. Whoa. So Uriah, the priest, built an altar in accordance with all the plans that King Ahaz had sent from Damascus and finished it before King Ahaz returned. And when the king came back from Damascus and saw the altar, he approached it and presented offerings on it. He offered up a burnt offering and a grain offering and poured out his drink offering and splashed the blood of fellowship offerings against the altar. Uh, as for the bronze altar that stood before the Lord, as for the bronze altar, which all these the gods altar that had been at the temple, what happened to it? Well, they just placed it off to the side. Because he had found a better altar. He had found an altar of a God that maybe could protect them more than their God. And he had the plans for that altar. We're going to put this altar in Jerusalem. Because he was falling into the trap that so many of us fall into. of feeling like we have to sort of figure out this Divinity. We, we've got to find the strongest divinity. We've got to align ourselves with the right divinity. We've got to, to, to, to figure it out ourselves and, uh, and somehow align ourselves. In other words, we need to find God. And in this context, God speaks to the prophet Isaiah. So, turning your Bibles now. So Isaiah chapter 7, Isaiah would have probably been a fairly young man here. Most of Isaiah's ministry was was ministering to to King Hezekiah, who would have been the son of Ahaz. But in this particular context, to this king who was not a godly king, God speaks a very interesting word in Isaiah chapter 7. First of all, the beginning of Isaiah chapter 7, God assures Ahaz that, yeah, he's not going to be defeated. It's okay. It's going to be all right. He's not going to let it happen. But then when we get to verse 13 of chapter 7, here's what we hear from the prophet Isaiah, a word to Ahaz. Then Isaiah said, "Here now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Well, you try the patience of God also. Again, speaking to Ahaz, this king who is not only testing the patience of the Lord, he's also going around trying to find the right God to worship in the temple to Yahweh himself. And so verse 14 Says this, therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. God Almighty, Yahweh, this God that you're ignoring, is going to give you a sign. And what's that sign? The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. You'll be eating curds and honey. When he knows enough to reject the wrong, choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong, and choose the right. The land of the two kings you dread will be laid to waste. The Lord will bring on, he goes on to sort of sort of make note of the fact that the, you know, the simple conflict that's happening now is just sort of a, it's, it's, it's nothing he needs to worry about right now. Because God has bigger things in mind. God has the salvation of the whole world in mind. He's going to send Jesus. He himself is going to come. Yes, while you, Ahaz, are running around trying to find the best God to worship. And oh, the Assyrians are pretty strong. I better get a replica of their altar in Jerusalem so that I can maybe get their God on my side. While you're chasing after all this stuff, guess what God is doing? God Is coming to you. God is coming to you. That's the sign that God is giving to this Ahaz and to the successive generations that then stood waiting for this sign to be fulfilled until the coming of Christ. Emmanuel, God with us. That is the God that we serve. That's the God that we worship. That's the the God that we adore when we sing, you know, oh, come, let us adore him. Because yes, to us, a child of hope is born. God has come and met us here. He's become one of us. And it's not easy. Like, this is, we we have a hard enough time as humans doing this, like meeting someone else where they're at. Like, we're inherently pretty selfish beings, right? I want people to sort of be like me and God in order to show us who he was. He became like us. I just want to illustrate the the uh, the difficulty that we have at doing this. Um, it's okay if I use a guitar. All right. So, how many of you have ever gone like overseas? So like you, you go somewhere else, and and the idea of going to another culture and going, this, this, this, is, you know, we're gonna go and we're gonna meet people where they're at. And, and uh, with the purpose of it was a mission trip or something like that, it was the purpose of sort of bringing Jesus, right? And so often, when we do things like that, <clears throat> you'll run into situations like this. So here's a, uh, you'll be with a group of people, and you'll break out something like this. See if you, rec- see if you recognize this. And you can join in if you want, because this, this is a good song. You all know. You, you probably know it already. Rab ismini yüceltirim Seni övmekten hoşlanırım Join in! Hayatıma girdin sevindin Bizi kurtarmaya geldin, geldin Cennetten dünyaya gelip yol gösterdin Dünyadan çarmıha yeah, well, man, we, we just had a moment there, didn't we? That was great. It was like, you know, I was singing in Turkish, and you guys were singing in English, and we just, it was the same song, and it was like, whoa, wasn't that great? Weren't you feeling it? It was, oh man, that was so special. You know, it was actually kind of lame. (laughs) Do you know why? Because that song, it's, it's like an American song. Like there's nothing Turkish about it. Except that someone sat down and like translated the words into Turkish and made whoever did that feel good. About themselves i'm I'm dogging on a little too much but but that, you know it's it's hard enough for us to just go to another place and and like uh, fully sort of engage we we want we want things to be familiar. we go and church all of a sudden starts looking like our church is back and we sing songs that are just translated from english and we say but and then we wonder why the church maybe doesn't necessarily. Feel an ownership of what's going on because let, let me sing a different Turkish song to you. Can you hear a different Turkish song? Yeah. This is a real Turkish song. <laughs> Dünyanın çevresinde Sana yoktur vatan İşte Rabbin evi İşte açık kapı Gir canım bu meskene Al sonsuz hayatı orda oturayım seni sever abi arzuların eder tatmin her şey olur seni. Ey Vazge canım, vazgeç dolaşmaktan. Bu dünyanın çevresinde sana yoktur vatan. Now that... Now that that I tell you what those words, that's one of my favorite Turks It goes, "A piti shanjana means it's uh. Uh, it means oh oh my wretched heart, oh my wretched soul. Stop your wondering, stop your wondering in this world. Don't you know you you're never gonna find a real home." And then the second verse, look, look over there. It's, it's the house of God. Enter in. Enter in to this house and find, find eternal life. And then stay there, confident. Know that God loves you. And He will make and He will give you the desires of your heart. And it ends again with, "Oh, my wretched soul, stop your wondering." You know, we, we didn't quite have the same moment when I sang that song, right? Because it wasn't familiar to any of you. You didn't know it. But if you had, if you had sort of moved and really kind of jumped in to Turkish culture and worship, and you know, then that song would be much more moving to you because you're meeting the people where they are. And not just bringing some trite chorus from the U.S. that you've translated into English. Or into Turkish. See, it's hard. It's hard to even meet people where they're at, right? We like things to be how we like them. We like things to be familiar. We, we like things. This is why Ahaz, it's, you feel more in charge when you can go do the chasing and trying to figure out God. But that's the beauty of Emmanuel. He met us where we were at. He came. He lived among us. He did something that even we struggle to do with other people, right? But he did it as Almighty God coming and being born, living among us. And in so doing, showed us who God is so that we can now walk as followers of Jesus, followers of God, having the fullest understanding that we can of who God is by seeing it displayed in the person of Jesus Christ because of Emmanuel. So this Christmas season, I mean, there's going to be all sorts of stuff you're involved in and Stuff you'll do, you know, I don't know, you might just sit at home and binge Netflix the whole time. I don't know. Please don't just do that. But whatever you do, please take some time to remember the beauty and the importance of this concept of Emmanuel, God with us. God came, and he entered in, and in so doing, made it possible for us to follow him. Let's, let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much that we don't have to chase after you. That we don't have to sort of try to find the right formula or the right altar or the right kind of way of approaching you in order to somehow earn your favor or, or anything like that. But we serve Emmanuel, God with us. You came. You were born, you lived, you walked among us. And so, Lord, enable us to walk today, thousands of years after even that time, to walk today as your followers, having experienced Emmanuel, God with us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you found this episode helpful, please share so others can benefit from it as well. And be sure to check out our other podcasts at rosedale.edu podcasts.